to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator, and with me this week is the man who loves books more than life itself, Daniel Rye. <laughs> is that fair? Sure. Oh, <laughs> is that unfair? No. Oh, okay. Uh, new Presidente, Scott Reed. Yeah. Have you Have you named a new VP yet? Nope. Well, there wasn't a VP before. Well, that's true. There was just co-presidents. Well, you need to. You need to. I mean, there's a power vacuum right now. You need to fill it. I'm filling it with I, my. I nominate own self. Daniel Wright. Ooh, I like yeah. that. Can I nominate Bill Calvin? You no, can, I you turned can. it down already. <laughs> <laughs> and refusing to take responsibility, Bill Muffin Calvin. Uh, Scott, would you uh, pray for us to start? Sure. Let's pray. Didn't I just pray? I don't know. Listeners, if I prayed last week, yeah. write in to Bloomingdale, uh, podcast at BloomingdaleChurch.org. <laughs> hey, man. Or Scott us, R. at BloomingdaleChurch.org. True. We can have a private conversation about it. <laughs> I'm tired of how much All right, let's pray. <laughs> Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day and this chance that we can be together and, and talk about your word and your character and your impact in our lives. And Lord, we really pray that that, that impact would shine through in all that we do and say today and every day, uh, that people that listen to this podcast would, would see how much we love you, um, that that would in turn draw them closer to you and and cause them to, to delve into the word and pursue you more. Um, Lord, bless this conversation. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is a dreary day, positively dark outside for... It was really nice out this morning. 3 p.m. It was, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. the, the rain came down. It's been raining for a couple days now. Uh, we've got a ton of tiny segments, and then topic of the week. Some of these segments could last as low as 10 seconds, depending on if you guys feel like talking about them. But to start us off, Scott, give us this brand spanking new Would You Rather card. I do want to specify that Max has a brand spanking new card. It, it's the same rules yep. as it was last week, but oh, it's a new card, great. which is saying something, because now that we've been doing this for like so long, it's kind of hard for me to find new cards sometimes, but I don't think I've seen any of the questions on this card before. Nice. Um, which one of these is the least interesting? Probably the first one. Okay. Um, so we'll start with Bill as the judge today. Since hey. Max was so upset about how, I don't know, <laughs> robbed he was or something last week, I'm going to work backwards. So, Max, you're going to get the first option. We're going to go counterclockwise okay. instead of clockwise. Okay. Maybe this time you'll be happy. Um, <laughs> I'll never be happy. All right, Bill. So you're the judge. I'm just like Max, my you're arguing. She's never satisfied. <laughs> I just love that. This is one of my favorite things. You're arguing for doing a mini cheer, a mini cheer whenever someone compliments you. Oh, like I went, hey, <laughs> hooray, cool. Uh, and Daniel, you're arguing for always having to wear a kick me sign on, on your back. Well, on Bill's back. Aww. So, Bill, you're deciding between doing a mini cheer whenever someone compliments you or always having to wear a kick me sign on your back. Max and Daniel are arguing those respective positions, and you get to choose who's going to go first. All right, let's hear Daniel Wright. All right, I got you, Bill. So what's more motivating to help you run faster and get better times than having a sign on their back saying, kick me? They're going to constantly gonna be wanting to run away, just finding people trying to kick you. So if you ever stop for too long, you're going to get kicked. So how else are you going to win all the races that you run? Wow, that was good. Uh, I, honestly, Bill, I think you your commitment to positivity has been one of the defining features of this church for, what, almost 18 years now, uh, or just over 18 years? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think, hey, doing a little cheer every time you're complimented would be adorable, would really encourage people to be encouraging each other more. You might start kind of a, a movement of people. But secondly, that's an opportunity to turn the glory over to God, to say, yay, God gave me the skills to do that, right? And everybody knows, hey, this is a guy, this is, this is how we should be living. We should be giving glory to God when glory is given to us. Very good. Well, both of them are really good. I choose maxes, oh, <laughs> mainly because I, I only run races like one one millionth of the time in my life. Just got to wear that kick me sign, all the rest of it. <laughs> all right, a point to Max. Hooray! And Max is now the judge. I want to say I'm in a much better mood today, <laughs> so I am not as furious that we're doing this. So thank you for bearing with me last week. <laughs> all right, Max, you're the judge, Daniel. Let me see how to phrase this. Okay. So you have an important job. I do. In both of these scenarios in which you have to do mathematical calculations. Easy. Presumably fairly complicated ones because, Daniel, you're arguing for having to use a calculator at your important job that you know makes a mistake once every 50 computations. Hmm. Or... Bill, you're arguing for doing all the calculations by hand. Ooh. So I guess the question is, do you think you make less than one mistake every 50 computations? <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Let's, start with, let's start with Daniel. <clears throat> I'm ready for it. All right. So, Max, yeah. hear me out. You Always. If, you, if you're working this hard and important job, then, like, you're not going to be working all night, all day, 24-7. So you're not always going to know when that 50 is, but you can rely on the calculator 100% of the time. Let's say you have a bad day. You wake up, it's a little dreary outside, and you go into work, and you can you can count on the fact that you have a calculator. You'll always have to use just your, your amazing mm. brain. You can offload it to the calculator so you can be focusing on other aspects of your very important job. Even if it's the 50th time, you're smart enough to already know, oh, that probably that's probably wrong. So you'll be good mm. 100% of the time. Wow. Bill. Well, knowing that Alzheimer's runs in your family, you need to be <laughs> exercising your brain and simple math calculations. How hard can it be? Just get out a piece of paper and go. You probably can do most of them in your head. Get that brain greased up. You don't have to worry about Alzheimer's. Don't forget about that bear trap. <laughs> I was going to say, so I am going to go with Daniel uh, for two reasons. One, I, I don't think Alzheimer's runs in my family. But now I'm worried. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, we're you just told us it did <laughs> That's a really good shot. Uh, secondly, uh, secondly, I don't, oh gosh, I don't remember what my other point was. That's okay. Mm. A point to Daniel. Yeah. Just do those math calculations. Do those math calculations. All right, Daniel. Without putting too fine a point on it and leaving the players anonymous, here you have the cho the chance to tie it all up in a three-way tie or give the victory to someone other than yourself. Mm. Again, who knows what that means and, and who those players are. But your, your question, Daniel, uh, is 
Would you rather, Mac, nope, we're going counterclockwise. Bill, you're arguing for see the SWAT team pull up to your house. Ooh. Or, Max, you're arguing for see the hazmat team pull up to your house. Whoa. So, Daniel, your your conundrum is would you rather see the SWAT team or the hazmat team pull up to your house? And mm. you get to decide who makes their case first. I want to hear Max's case first. I think it goes without saying that we are living in a pandemic, okay? People are going to be in hazmat gear no matter where they're going. You know, technically speaking, a, a face mask could be considered hazmat gear depending on when this game came out. Okay, so I want to start with that point. Um, maybe they're coming in just to inspect. Maybe they're coming in to test you. When I got tested, the person I was wearing was in one of those full body, like paper suits with the gloves and the mask and everything. Um, I was in Seattle in a drive through. They stuck it all the way to the back of my nose. It was a very traumatizing experience, but all that to say, I'm pretty sure they're just in hazmat gear because they're coming to let you know that the coronavirus has been cured, uh, and it's all over. Pulling a Bill Calvin there. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to build your own ship. <laughs> or bear. Sometimes you got to build your own bear trap. Yeah, take your own bear apart. Build a bear trap workshop. <laughs> well, my personal preference would be to see a SWAT team show up because that's exciting. Guys behind trees with their guns drawn and climbing on roofs and crashing through windows, just like... Christmas Vacation. It just brings back a lot of good memories. We watch that movie every Christmas Eve for 10, 15 years in a row. We've all got it memorized. So bring it on. Let's let's have the SWAT team. Wow. Oh. See, see, I'm torn because I... I was a police explorer mm. um, back in high school, mm. and I seeing the SWAT team was super exciting. Mm. Um, super exciting. It was really cool seeing all they do. But then also, if the news from the hazmat guy is <laughs> that the pandemic is over, <laughs> yeah. that's also, like, really good news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I just love that illogic. <laughs> just don't start with me about illogic in this game. <laughs> There's a reason. Why has he got a hazmat suit if he's telling me good news? <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. That's a good point. <laughs> so, based on based on my prior experience, yeah, I'm gonna have to go with the SWAT team. I don't Ooh. blame you. <laughs> point to Bill. After review of the play for a three-way tie. A three-way tie. <clears throat> uh, Daniel, will you give me a number between one and a thousand and one? Seven. Oh, let's go. <laughs> Whoa, right at the beginning. Double O seven. Daniel, right. Uh, this, of course, comes to us from a thousand and one things you always wanted to know about the Bible, but never thought to ask by uh, Dallas Cowboys quarterback J. Stephen Lang. Uh, number seven comes from the section familiar phrases. 
Number seven, fire and brimstone. People often refer to fire and brimstone preachers without knowing just what brimstone is. It's an old name for sulfur, something common in volcanic areas. When Genesis reports that God destroyed the immoral cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone, it may be referring to a volcano. The book of Revelation says that at the end of the world, Satan and all non-believers will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone when they will, where they will burn eternally. Revelation 14, 19, and 21. That this is why fire and brimstone is another way of saying fires of hell. Um, have you heard the the idea that it was that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by a, a volcano before? I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. I haven't. No, I've I've always heard like the idea of like a meteor. Yeah. Type of stuff. Okay. A meteor that <clears throat> turns people to salt. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to fire and brimstone preachers, we've like had that come up a little bit before. Um, but, uh, this church, at least in my opinion, doesn't really take that tack particularly, uh, often, um, <laughs> Bill, not enough, <laughs> get in there. Um, is that like a cultural shift or is that just, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's people, you know, who still to this day preach with uh, an incredible amount of uh, warnings about, you know, the fires of hell and things like that. Um, was that ever a big thing or is that just sort of reflected in, in movies and TV shows about sort of this idea of this Southern Baptist preacher? It, it was a big thing when I was a little kid. Okay. Very, very often particularly towards the close of a sermon, you'd be reminded that hell is real. Hmm. And so a little bit of a description of hell. Actually, what caused that to change was society, we would listen to the people who weren't even going to church saying, that's why I don't go. Hmm. Tired of those kind of sermons. So think, okay, but you don't go. <laughs> But then they would come back with, that's why I don't go. All right. Do we believe you? Yeah. And then what would happen is, in the old days, it was Robert Schuller. Today's world, it's Joel Osteen. There's always a really positive, high-profile pastor with a big following. Mm -hmm. Before Robert Schuller, it was uh, Norman Vincent Peale. Okay. So they point to those churches and say, look how large they are. Right. People are going there. They like it. And they'll say, yeah, we like it because they don't spend any time on fire and brimstone. So th that really was very influential, especially Schuler, because he was on television. He had a huge hmm. audience. Hmm. He was really the only one on TV that had a large audience of unchurched, unsaved people. Hmm. Everybody else on TV was just pretty much preaching to the choir. Hmm. So th that's really what happened. And, and it, it affects a little church, like the little church I grew up in. You wouldn't hear anything about hell, fire, and brimstone today. But, okay. but you did, say, 60 years ago when I was a little kid. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Like the fact that the kind of moving, trying to stay more in that realm of positivity, like you obviously lose an aspect of the truth, right? right. That's of the justice. bad thing about it. That yeah. You're ignoring something that we really learned from Jesus. Jesus spoke about hell more than all the others put together. Mm -hmm. 
But you got to take what Jesus is saying real seriously. Okay, why is he talking about this so much? Well, because it's so real. Hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of a leadership journal cartoon. Okay. <laughs> it just showed this older man who's a pastor, and he's in front of a mirror, and he's doing this fire and brimstone. <laughs> he's practicing those two words. <laughs> I just love that cartoon. <laughs> Hard to recreate on a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's more of a visual. It's yeah. <laughs> Look for that in the next Bill Calvin sermon. <laughs> um, right. And then, I mean, Daniel and Scott, you guys are both, you know, sort of becoming uh, ordained, becoming pastors in in twenty twenty one, right? In sort of this more, more, I hate to say, like modern era. Um, but is that? Uh, is this idea of really focusing on on hell, on consequences, on you know justice and vengeance belonging to God? Like, is that something that is encouraged? That is discouraged? That is you know like in the sort of preaching classes and preaching you know conversations that you guys have had? I think like one thing <clears throat> along the, these lines that I've been like hearing around like topics and stuff is um use using that that idea of like there is judgment coming mm. um in a way of showing that there is justice coming mm. uh, because that's something that's like on the hearts and minds of a lot of people yeah. today mm. and seeing that God is a God who is just yeah. and there's just justice will come about um in the end and I think Taking taking the truth and like showing showing the hope in that and like trying to not not get rid of the idea that hell is real and hell is like a reality, mm-hmm. but showing that it's like it's a reality and it doesn't have to be yours mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah. Um, and making sure that there is that connection that's happening of like hope and like stirring up like man, this is something that I really need to think about. Um, and not just like trying to like leave it aside and like focus just on like going to heaven, but also realizing that like there are so many other people who like are on the path that isn't going to heaven, but is going to hell. And I think that's also a powerful, like just a testimony and a reminder Mm. to, to say today. And I think we got to do it in a way that's, I think, not not scaring people away, but also making sure that they're they're taking it seriously. Mm. And it's a hard hard thing to maneuver, yeah. figure out how to do that. Mm. I think that the term "fire and brimstone" is often used as sort of a sort of a caricature mm-hmm. um, that. Uh, in my experience, which is you know just one person's experience, but like the the kind of quintessential fire and brimstone is like the sinners in the hand of an angry God mm-hmm. sermon, which uh, admittedly I don't think I've read all of it, but I believe it's not actually as as fire and brimstone trope as one would think. Yeah, um, like it it includes elements of of grace. And I think that that's the point. I think, you know, a whole, we'll say 30-minute sermon that's just talking about hell, and then you walk off the stage, 
that's no good to anybody. Um, it needs to include the other side of it. Um, mm-hmm. like what Daniel was saying, cause like being scared of hell is fine, but being scared of hell is not going to save you because mm-hmm. you need to know what the way out is. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise you're just going to be afraid. You're not going to have any kind of solutions. Um, and I also think it's important, like understanding, I think it was Chelsea. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Oh, this is from, oh, that's interesting. This is from the Daily Devo. I don't think this is actually related to her reading of the Bible chronologically, but they coincided. Um, as the most important promise of Revelation 21 is not a new earth without conflict and suffering and crime. It's not a new us without pride or fear or lust. The promise of promises is this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. All the beauty and goodness of that heavenly place will be worthless. I guess that maybe that should say would be worthless without its king. God is the crown of his new creation, and Jesus its bright morning star. All of our deepest longings and cravings will be filled not with the great things God has made and given us, but with God himself. Hmm. And I think that that's sort of like the other side of the coin. It's like we don't want people to be saved because they're afraid of going to hell. And we don't want people to save to be saved because they want to get into heaven. Right. We want people to be saved because they want to be with God. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. the hell and the heaven are like parts of it and they're important parts of it, but it all kind of needs to come back to like getting people back into right relationship with God because the lack of a right relationship with God is why you're going to hell in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of this, uh, of those billboards that are especially common in, in the Midwest and, and uh, you know, the times I've driven to, to the Carolinas see plenty of them as well, of just like big billboards that say like hell is real and, and things like that. Um, and it also makes me think of the people on street corners outside of like major sporting events and stuff with the signs that say, you know, repent or go to hell and they have bullhorns and they're yelling that, you know, Jesus is coming back and those who, you know, don't believe in him will go to hell. Um, have any of you ever interacted with somebody with like someone on a street corner who was doing that? I, I don't know what that conversation would be like, but I don't imagine they get a lot of positive like feedback, I, I imagine they don't get a lot of people coming to them and be like, this is terrific timing. I've been feeling really guilty about the way I live my life. Like, tell me what I need to do. Um, am I wrong in, in suspecting that those people are counterproductive? The ones I've seen in Chicago, they just seem so angry mm-hmm. that really you can't help but wonder, is this person crazy? Mm. And I suspect probably most of them are. Mm. So who wants to interact with somebody who's crazy when you don't have to? Uh, that's the way it comes off. I, I really like the idea of street preaching because you see it in the Bible. Yeah. I think all the apostles were street preaching every day, probably several times a day, hmm. and that's how Christianity spread. But now it's got the connotation of, if you're speaking up in public, it isn't even just limited to preaching. If you're speaking up politically, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Or distrusted or yeah. trying to sell something. Yeah. I, I, I see a couple possible kind of sources for that kind of behavior. 
One of them is, I think, what Bill was saying, either just kind of actually cry. I mean, we've certainly seen, you know, crazy people in cities who are like, the end is near, and sometimes it's it's in a biblical context. Uh, or angry people. Uh, you know, I, I think of like the, whatever that Baptist church's name was, I can't remember at the moment, but... Uh, Westboro. Westboro West Baptist. Baptist. You know, that kind of mentality, just really angry. Then um, I also think of, of you know, the story of, I'm pretty sure she was demon-possessed, girl that followed Paul around as, you know, this man is a servant of the Most High mm. God, and that was true, like what these people are saying is true, but it was distracting, so I see that element hmm. as well. Yeah. Then I, and those are really easy, you know, it's easy to look at these people that are kind of like uncomfortable and and abnormal, and maybe they seem crazy and kind of cast them in one of those categories. But I think there's another category, too, that's important to keep in mind, which is probably the minority, maybe the vast minority, but it's worth exploring, which is that, hey, at least they're doing something. Hmm. Like, before we cast judgment, at least they're saying something mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. Uh, like, what am I saying that's true? How am I getting the word out? And it might be counterproductive. It might yield no results, but at least they're trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for some of them, it might be like, I don't know what else to do, but I got to do something. Right. Um so again, probably the minority, maybe the vast minority, but I think that's an important element to keep in mind is like before I cast judgment on this person, as as I personally am very wont to do, um, what am I doing to tell people that they, that they need to turn their lives over to Jesus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think another like quick encouraging note <clears throat> is I have a friend in the Minneapolis area and He's like always doing street evangelism with this group. And there was, there's a guy in that group who's like a pretty gifted like speaker and preacher. And they've started doing like street level like preaching late at night in mm. the, mm. in Minneapolis. Yeah. And St. Paul. And um, just seeing the heart and like where and the attitude that he brings to those who are listening. Um, it's like, has yielded like fruit and like mm, there have been like crazy mm. stories about people who are on their way to either like go to a bridge or people who are like mm. just got like super super high mm-hmm. and like just things happening and in that moment walking through the street being able to hear a message of hope and mm-hmm. in Jesus and it being done well mm. so it it can still happen yeah. today which is which is encouraging. Um, I think the the setting, place, time, and attitude mm. are the things that are come come down to like the the thing of like how effective it is. But regardless, who's to say a seed's not getting planted? Mm. Regardless of what's being or how something's being preached. Absolutely. That's how A. W. Tozer was saved. Street preacher in Akron, Ohio. He walked up, listened. Now, this is another era. You know, we're probably going back close to 100 years ago. Sure. But that's how he got saved. All right. It's a little gloomy outside. I don't want to swing too negative, but I got a piece of news for us that I'm very interested to hear your opinion on because it's time once again for the return of an old segment we called I Am Not Getting Worked Up. (laughs) Uh, In 2001... 
to the statement, quote, the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves, end quote. Across a series of polls, 53% of Americans strongly agreed, 22% somewhat agreed, 7% disagreed somewhat, and 14% strongly agreed, and 5% said that they didn't know. A poll in the late 1990s showed that the majority, 81%, believed that the concept is taught by the Bible, and another stating 82% uh, with born again, born again Christians at 68%. Uh, despite not appearing in the Bible, the phrase tops polls of the most widely known Bible verses. So to, to recap, uh, between the 53% of Americans who strongly agree that the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves and the 22% who somewhat agree, that's 75% in 2001 who agree that in some form or another, that is a message that the Bible supports. And I think there's a bit of an argument as to whether or not it supports it. My belief is that it doesn't. Uh, does that bother you as much as it bothers me? <laughs> Now, are they saying that it, it has that message or that that is a verse in the Bible? Well, it is. Uh, it does say that it tops a poll of the most widely known Bible verses. Right. Um, so that part, for sure. But okay. the quote is that the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves. Okay. That's the statement that they're responding to. Um, so I, I think you can take it as direct or indirect. Um, I've heard this phrase for so long, and I hate this statement. I hate the statement that God helps those who help themselves, especially when it's mentioned in the context of like, oh, well, that's like a Bible verse. Like, it drives me crazy. Does it bother you guys? Does it not bother you guys? All right. The time I heard it used the most was when I was going door to door in Buffalo Grove. Mm -hmm. And that was the line people would use to blow me off. Oh. So I don't like it because of that. It's just got this bad memory of people that don't know what they're talking about, but they want to just get rid of me. So they say that verse. Hmm. My response was, the Bible teaches that God helps those who cannot help themselves. Mm -hmm. They didn't like that. <laughs> Fair. But <clears throat> it is the truth. I mean, that's what grace is about, that we cannot help ourselves and the context was an evangelistic kind of conversation. We weren't just talking about the news, weather, and the sports. Hmm. So I, I don't like hearing it. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I think we've all lived it, that when we really work hard, God does bless hard work. Hmm. And so he does help those who help themselves. There's... There is that element of truth in it, hmm. but it has nothing to do with salvation. Sure. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Or the idea that you should work for, for God and not for man, like with all, you know, with all the facets that you have, I could see how that could potentially mm -hmm. be used to, to say that, yeah, like indirectly that sort of supports that claim. Daniel? I have, I don't know how like helpful this is, uh -huh. but the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. I agree with because those who are helping themselves need help from God. <laughs> uh, which so it doesn't like, encourage you to help yourself. <laughs> which is like a little, I don't know, this is a little snarky. Well, it's like saying God saves broken people and you're like, good, I need to be broken in order to be like, I got to go get more broken. It's not, it's not necessarily helpful. It's a little snarky. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think of Abraham like mm -hmm. just being like in, in Genesis a lot right now. It's just like, the idea that God gave Abraham a promise, hmm. 
of having having nations and being protected and he tries to like take those promises on on his own and trying to f- fulfill it on his own and yeah. like that's not necessarily what god had in mind mm. now that doesn't mean that like i think there are times when people are doing good work and like god's going to move that forward yeah so yeah mm. but those are my two cents i guess scott i don't know if it bothers me particularly that people think that because people think all sorts of wrong things about the bible mm-hmm. um and it's really easy to think wrong things about the bible because it's such a big book yeah uh, you can't just be like well let's go read all of it in the next 20 minutes and see if it's in there <laughs> um it's like no let's go and read it in the next 100 hours and and see if it's in there um but uh so, you know, that's, I think another one that, that comes up a lot is God won't give me anything. He won't give me more than I can bear, hmm. which is not what the Bible says, hmm. or he won't give me more than I can handle. Right. Um, but it's like a perversion of what the Bible says. So I, I'm not like particularly bothered by it any more than I'm bothered by people just being wrong about what's in the Bible. Um, but uh, in terms of it's like truthfulness, I guess it does kind of depend on how you interpret it. Mm-hmm. You know, like what Bill was saying, like it's not salvation. Like it's not, you know, if I if I work hard enough, like God will save me. He'll help me in that way. Like that's not what it means. Um, if it's like God blessing hard work, like Bill said, you know, there's, there's some truthfulness in that. Like God certainly not, well, usually you don't want to put put bounds on what God does and doesn't do too often, but like, he's probably not going to just dump a million dollars in your lap. If, if you don't, if you're just sitting around waiting for it, mm-hmm. you don't even go, <laughs> I can't even be bothered to buy a lottery ticket. Cause God's going to, you know, ble- like he's probably not going to help that kind of person. Sure. Um, so like, I think he does help. He blesses hard work and, and effort mm-hmm. that's given for him and working for him. And then, you know, then there's another way of looking at, it, I guess, of like God helping people in his purposes. Mm-hmm. And like, as we look at the Bible, like that's all across the board, like God uses whoever he pleases. And sometimes there are people that, that were, I don't know, helping themselves, you know, working and being and looking for God to help them. And sometimes it's like Moses just going after finding a burning bush and God's like, I'm going to use you. Yeah. So I think it, there's different ways that you can interpret that passage or that, mm-hmm. not that passage, that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on which way you go, it becomes more or less aligned with what the scripture says, I think. Mm. Mm. So depending on your interpretation, I guess, you know, the Bible could, could support that mm. or could very not support it, or it could sometimes support it. Mm. Mm. Supposedly the phrase, God helps those who helps them, who help themselves originates from God, the gods help those who help themselves and originates mm. from a story uh, in which a man with a, cart gets it stuck in the mud and he stands next to it and says, Hercules, please come down and get my cart out of the mud. And Hercules response is, were it so easy, put your own shoulder to it first. So Hercules will save us. Hercules will <laughs> save us uh, for a bonus round. Uh, Genesis five twenty one. This is unrelated to uh, God helping those who help themselves. Unless you take Daniel's tact of being like a little bit backward or like behind the back kind of uh, situation. Uh, five twenty one says when Enoch had lived sixty five years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God three hundred years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of three hundred. 65 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Um, 
So he didn't die. He just like got taken away because everybody else in this section of Genesis where it's kind of going through this lineage says, and then he died and then he died and then he died. And Enoch's just like, and then God just, he just took him like, and then he disappeared because God took him away. Uh, is that ever referenced again? Why? Well, I, I know it is referenced um, in the New Testament once, um, but like, is the reason that Enoch is taken to heaven or Elijah for that matter, the fact that Elijah just goes in a chariot of fire instead of dying like everyone else, like even Moses dies, right? And Abraham dies. Yep. Everyone else dies. Jesus dies and then rises from the dead. Like... Why Why do these couple of random people not die? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel? Um, <clears throat> I was just... I was just thinking about Hebrews yes. and the Hall of Faith and wondering if yes. there was anything that was mentioned there. And there's like two verses that bring up Enoch. This is Hebrews 11... Uh, five through six, and it says, By faith Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he he rewards those who seek him. Hmm. So that's something that the Bible says something about Enoch. Um, <laughs> But I also know, like, those descriptions were said of Noah as well, and hmm. Noah died. No. Yeah. So, I don't know how helpful that is, but no. something the Bible says about it. Yeah. Do you know if there's a theology behind Elijah? Like, do is there a specific reason why, does he ask for that? Doesn't look like it. But there's a forewarning, because in that chapter, he and Elisha are walking along, and Elijah makes it clear to Elisha, this is my last day hmm. on earth. And Elisha's response is, I want a double portion of your spirit. Right. And Elijah says, I don't, that you were asking a hard thing. I don't know if that can be done. So as they walk along, they run across these schools of prophets. In fact, they don't run across them. They intentionally go to them. They go to Bethel, which is one of the places where they were. And I think maybe Shechem was the other one. And, and they are there so that Elijah can have one last time with the prophets, teach them. And, but the prophets come running up to Elisha and say, Elijah, he's going to leave you today. And Elisha says, I know, don't talk about it. Mm. This happens at least twice, each school of the prophets. And you think, huh. So they know it's coming, which is kind of a creepy thing. Yeah. I mean, if you were to find out today you die, mm -hmm. or today you are going to heaven in a whirlwind. All right. Right. It, it doesn't bother Elijah, though. I mean, why should it, if you think about it? He seems to have a knowledge of, I am going to God, hmm. and I'm ready, let's bring it on. And I think there's a lot of Christians that face being burned at the stake with, bring it on, hmm. I'm ready to meet God. All right. And it becomes a tremendous testimony to those around them, because this guy was fearless. Hmm. He, he, he was going to meet God. He didn't care that we 
burned him. He wasn't going to recant his faith. Yeah. He's just fearless, which is seen again and again in that book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Hmm. It's just a real inspiring book. Let's get into Topic of the Week. Topic of the Week this week is brought to you for the last time by Boundaries with Kids. Yes, you can say no to your child and still be a loving parent. Discover how boundaries make parenting better. Doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend provide the help and guidance you need for raising your kids to take responsibility for their actions, attitudes, and emotions that will help them lead balanced, productive, and fulfilling adult lives. Join the families group in the Common Ground starting Sunday, October 3rd for this eight-week series taught by great guest teachers. Boundaries with Kids, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. in the Common Grounds. Visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash adult ed to learn more. Adult ed, one word. Adulted. Adulted. You just got adulted. Bill, did you set boundaries with your kids? Oh, yeah. Like what? Well, one of them was uh, observing the Sabbath. Hmm. But listen, we're not going to be... I know you get invited to be in these premier soccer teams and travel every weekend. And it's, it's beyond our... Purse, and it's also beyond what we are here on earth to do. We're here to start this church, and hmm. we are not going to go running all over and miss church. Hmm. So you want to do right by your children, and putting God first is the right thing to do. Yeah. However, if a game was at, say, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's only 15 minutes away... They would go. Yeah. And the reason why I remember this so clearly is one time they went up to the game and I was closing up the church. So we meet each other at home for dinner and Joel and his buddy Jeremy and Nicole, they come bursting in the room. He's like, man, Joel, Joel was a hero today. I'm thinking, all right, let's, let's hear about it. And they were talking about how he had saved goals from being scored because mm-hmm. he was the goalkeeper at the time. I thought, oh, pretty neat. And he was so excited yeah. about it because when do you ever really get to be the hero? Sure. So, but that was a Sunday afternoon, like a one o'clock. That's why it's sticking mm. in my mind that it, it was that rare that they got to play on a Sunday. Yeah. My my parents did something very similar in terms of, you know, if we had a sports event on Sunday, like I was late to plenty of games because they started at noon and church didn't get out until, you know, 1130 or mm-hmm. whatever. And we had to go all the way to who knows where for me to play baseball. Um, and yeah, I, cool. Daniel, do you set boundaries with your kids? Yeah, I tell the youth group no a lot. (laughs) I believe that. (laughs) Uh, For Topic of the Week this week, it is time to bring back one of our very first segments. We want to take a breath and talk about our personal devotion times, as well as what passages have been meaningful to us lately. I'm going to reread that. As well as what passages have been meaningful to us lately. Uh, First of all, when do you guys do your Bible reading? Do you do a daily Bible reading? And if so, what time of day do you typically do? Uh, usually in the morning. Okay. Daniel? I do mine at night. Ooh. Yeah. I'll, I'll read read a passage and then journal and then go to bed. Cool. Bill? Typically in the morning because I've got this rule I've been following for a year. 
of I won't read anything else until I've read the Bible. Mm. And that's really working for me. Yeah. So today I I was reading in the morning and then I I was allowed to read something else. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, tell me a little bit about like what you've loved about doing your devotions at night. <clears throat> so so ideally I do sit down at the end of the day and there's just like kind of a reflective aspect of remembering, like just looking at how my day went, mm. kind of journaling about any thoughts and just like that are fresh on my mind. And then I go like read, read a portion of scripture and it kind of like calms me mm. a little bit Yeah, because I tend to like stay up late thinking about all the different things. Yeah. So it's a way that kind of helps me mm. to ease into like, ease into that at the end of the night. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Scott, do you find that certain kinds of times of day are better or worse for your ability to like really focus and internalize what you're reading? Yeah, well, probably. I, I, there have been times in my life where I did it in the evening. Um, but I think these days, by the time I get to the evening, a lot of the time I'm pretty tired. Hmm. Um, particularly like, you know, several days out of the week, I'm not really done until like eight or nine. Um, so I think having it consistent in the morning is good. Cause if I hadn't like some days, I think the evening would be okay. And some days I think it'd be, it'd be an issue. Um, so I think just having it in the morning is like a good way to like, my mornings are generally pretty consistently like flexible. Yeah. Um, so I think that's good. So yeah, I think I usually, you know, I'll wake up and I'll shower and I'll have breakfast and then I'll, I'll read after that. So I'm usually like pretty awake by then. Mm-hmm. Well, what have you guys been reading lately that's, that's stuck with you? What have you brought? From today itself, I read this, what you probably have to call it, an obscure passage from 2 Kings chapter 13. And there's a new king in Judah... His name is, actually, he's in Israel, the northern tribes. His name is Jehoahaz. Mm. And the Israelites are so beaten down at this point that this is their army. Jehoahaz did not have an army left except for 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers because the king of Aram had destroyed them, making them like dust at threshing. Mm -hmm. So then you just read a few more verses, and to his credit, I should mention this, a little bit of time has gone by. Jehoaz is dead, and his son, Jehoash, takes over. Jehoash goes to see Elisha because Elisha is sick and about to die. Okay. This is really tender. He says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. So he's weeping over Elisha. And Elisha responds from his deathbed, get a bow and arrows. So he got a bow and arrows. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, grasp the bow. So the king grasped it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Elisha said, open the east window. So he opened it. Elisha said, shoot. So he shot. Then Elisha said 
the Lord's arrow of victory. Yes, the arrow of victory over Aram. You are to strike down the Arameans in Aphek until you put an end to them. Then Elisha said, take the arrows. So he took them. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Aram until you had put an end to them. But now you will strike down Aram only three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. So I've read this for years and I think, okay. But today it hits me. You talk about being beaten down. Hmm. This is pretty much the equivalent of some little tiny country being under the thumb of, say, Russia or China. And they've got 50 horses, mm -hmm. 10 chariots. I mean, they have nothing. Yeah. And now the prophet says, strike the ground. This is victory over China. You know, you little teeny country with only 10,000 people. Well, how much can you believe that? It's just so unfathomable yeah. that you're going to be able to take on China. And that's the way Jehoash felt. So he strikes the ground three times. You think, well, all right. And Elisha gets real upset. He's on his deathbed, but he's upset. <laughs> yeah. Should have struck the ground several times. It did hit me, though. If Jehoash really believed in God and believed what Elisha was saying, he would have said, you're right. And he would have just started striking the ground more and more and more hmm. because that would be his way of repenting, saying, we're going to make this right. You're right. Hmm. What, what am I doing? Where's my faith? Hmm. But he doesn't do that. It's just like, eh, three's plenty. You know, this is, <laughs> I'm just a peas in a crazy guy before he dies. I mean, that, <laughs> that could be what he's thinking. Sure. Hmm. So that was in my Bible reading today, and you think, God really does honor faith. Hmm. He, he, this little tiny Israel does defeat Aram three times hmm. and take back their cities and not paying the taxes on those cities. And like, wow. You would think Jehoash would have repented at that point. We've defeated him three times. I should be down on my knees begging God's forgiveness and asking for victory. He doesn't do that either. So it's, it's a convicting passage because you think, who am I? Am I Jehoash? Am I Elisha? Hmm. Am I Aram? You know, who, who am I here? Makes me want to have great faith to say, yeah, even though this looks impossible, you are the God of the impossible. I, I want to side with you, not with what seems to be. Yeah. I want to ask you this question that, that you often ask, um, if it's appropriate to ask, of like, where where is Jesus in this passage of the Old Testament? Yeah. I think the idea of victory and like, <clears throat> what do like do we think that like do we believe in the victory mm. and will we continue to live that out I think it's like not necessarily seeing Jesus but like the victory that we have in Jesus like do we just like 
yeah, sure, victory in Jesus, or do we like truly believe and walk it out? Hmm. I think that's like one way that I can like kind of see that passage and hmm. like yeah, I believe in G- in like victory in Jesus in like an abstract yeah. kind of like yeah like a cosmic kind of sense, everything's going to work out versus like what you said, Bill, of that, like, you know, really, am I just appeasing this dying old man or do like, I really believe what he's mm-hmm. saying to me. Hmm. Scott, what did you read that stuck out to you? Um, well, so I have been reading through Genesis I've been doing, I finished Revelation, kind of reading it in conjunction with reading Matthew Henry's commentary on it, which was really, really cool. And then this week, we just started last Friday, uh, well, Thursday and Friday, one one Thursday was for the women and Friday was for the men. Um, Leah and I started these sort of discipleship small groups um, with the young men and women uh, of the Young Adults Bible Study, just for those who wanted to kind of take things a little bit further uh, in their faith. And so my plan for the guys is to work through the pursuit of God together, but I didn't want to over or underbuy um, the book on the first week because if mm-hmm. I overbuy, then I spend too much money, and if I underbuy, then I don't have enough for everybody. And I'm like, I'll just wait and see how many people come and then you know do that. So for the first week, I'm having them and, by extension, myself, read through Ephesians, uh, ideally a chapter a day, but we'll see how, you know, it doesn't really matter how you do it, I guess. Uh, and then also journal on it um, because... We're going to be reading through chapters in the pursuit of God, and then the version that I have has like reflection questions. We're going to be writing down our answers to those questions. So I want to get them into the habit of journaling, which is not something that I do when I read the Bible pretty much ever. Mm. Um, so I've, I've been journaling and forcing myself to do it too, uh, which has been really cool uh, and really kind of a different take on it. So I'm trying to, even with all of that context, trying to figure out like what really has stood out to me because there have been, I unfortunately don't have my journal with me. Um, uh, but there have been a lot of a lot of different things, uh, kind of little things, no kind of big, big through line thing this time around. But uh, one thing that really kind of blew me away is Ephesians one. Mm. Oh, what was that? Was kind of a cool. Th- I wish I did bring my. I have too many things with me. I've got my sermon journal and this stuff for staff meeting. I didn't have room, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Oh, I think I remember maybe what it was. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And um, that statement, his incomparably great power for us, is like... The fact that anything of God's is for us is mm. just mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, and then in uh, Ephesians 2, um, 4 to 6, at, at least 6, maybe also 7, it says, but because of his, well, before this, he says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Um, we were dead in our transgressions and our sin. We were dead. 
right? That's his, his starting point. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And then he goes on to say this next thing, which like I think it's really easy for church people and churched people to read this, and it's just kind of like, oh, this is the through line. This is the... But no, let's stop and think about this. God, okay, first, God raised us from the dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is enough, yeah. God. Like, you have shown your power and your grace. You have done enough. Thank you, Jesus. You raised us from the dead. But then it says... And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It was like as though raising us from the dead weren't merciful and gracious and powerful enough. He also raised us up and put us with Jesus Christ, as mm-hmm. we see elsewhere in the scriptures, to, to rule and to reign. It's just unfathomable the amount of grace and mercy and goodness he's shown to us. Um, so that was really cool. Um, just that you know, so much more. I mean, he didn't need to do any of it, but so much more even than just raising us from the dead, which in and of itself is pretty incredible. Um, Another thing that I noticed was uh, verses 11 and, well, verses 11 to to 22 in chapter 2, actually rewinding a little bit, back to chapter 1, Paul says, in him, okay, wait, okay, uh, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time has reached their fulfillment. So there's this mystery that, that this mystery of God's will that, that we didn't know, but now we know in Christ Jesus. And he says the mystery of this, of God's will, was to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Um, that is God's purpose and that is God's will, which is not language that we use super often. We use much more language of, of atonement, of reconciliation. Well, reconciliation and unity are very similar. But, you know, to bring unity to all things under Christ, that's God's will. And then when we look at um, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, uh, Paul says, Remember that formerly you are who are Gentiles by birth, um, now you've been brought, you were excluded, now you've been brought into citizenship through Christ Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And a little bit later again, he says, uh, in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And that that word hostility really stood out to me, that he uses it twice. And it just makes me really sad because I see a lot of hostility in the church right now. Um, between Christians. Hmm. And it's like, we have been saved from this pretty astronomical gulf of the Jews and the Gentiles, God's people and not God's people. And God brought them all together and he destroyed that wall of hostility. And we've seen that uh, throughout the history of, of people from widely different ethnic backgrounds coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and yet we still, we, we build new walls of hostility and, and there's some significant walls of hostility in the church right now. Yeah. Um, so that was really um, kind of convicting to me and, and it made me sad um, for, for some of the things that I see in our church. I'll be explicit because of COVID, hmm. the way people treat each other in the church because of COVID, uh, it's hostile and it's antithetical to what Jesus did on the cross. Um, so, hmm. Yeah. So those are some things. I've got more, but. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Do you see that built? Oh, yeah. But you see it all through the New Testament, too. Mm. There's always a fight going on, <laughs> which is disheartening. And at the same time, the fact that you see it in the New Testament, you say, you know what? We're just like them. You know, mm. we're, we're no better, but we're no worse. It's, it's just life. Mm. Daniel? Yeah, I like the the picture of the dividing wall coming down. And like one thing that I've like I guess connected to that that passage, one thing I'm what does that like dividing wall look like? Hmm. Um and this idea that like that the with that dividing wall down, like it's not like a wiping everybody to be the same, but like this like unity mm -hmm. in the body, which has many different parts that look and act differently. Yeah. And like that, that, that image that like perfect, like almost reconciliation mm. of all these different parts coming together um, under Christ is something that like when I don't see happening is really disheartening. Mm. But when I do see it happening is like super encouraging. Mm. Where do you see it happening? One place is um, at Mosaic up mm. in Trinity yeah. where we literally have people who are like from Japan, people who are from India, people who are from all sorts of places. Mm -hmm. And it's just like really cool to see this, this vast diversity of people all coming together under Christ and being this family. Yeah. Um, and having, like, we have discussions that are centered around t really tough topics um, because we're hoping to model how to have those tough topics in this unity. Mm. So, like, that's a really cool space um, and seeing that that happen. Yeah. Daniel, do you want to talk about what you brought today? Sure. Yeah. So, I, too, am reading through, through Genesis <laughs> uh, as... Um, the youth group were doing this um, Bible reading plan as an incentive for life, for the life conference. So if people finish this plan, they can get up to $250 mm. into their student account to help with the cost for the life conference. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going through Genesis and um, I've been really enjoying taking time to kind of slow down on the, the places that I usually just speed up and like, kind of glance over. Yeah. Um, so I particularly was looking at Genesis 29 a couple days ago, and it's the story basically where Leah is having <clears throat> all these children, right. the first four. Right. Um, and I'll just quickly read, read this. Um, this is chapter, kind of midway through chapter... Um, 32. And Leah conceived and bore a son, called his name Reuben, for she said, Yes, the Lord has seen my suffering, for now my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son, and she said, and she said Yes, the Lord has heard. I was despised, and he has given me this one too. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bore a son, and she said, This time at last my husband will join me, for I have born him three sons. Therefore is his name called Levi. 
And she conceived yet again and bore a son, and she said, This time I sing praise to the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and she ceased bearing children. Hmm. Which is kind of a weird passage. Yeah. It's just like this girl having a bunch of kids. Uh-huh. Um, but what like stood out to me was like this progression mm. of the purposes and reasoning behind wanting these children and the fact that in Genesis we see so many times like the the promised wine being almost seemingly not being able to happen because yeah. of barrenness. It happened with with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac even prayed for mm-hmm. um, for Rebecca to have children. And here we see Jacob's wives like, oh, I have all these children and I'm just concerned about getting my my husband to like... To love me. To love me. Yeah. And it's just this fourth child, which interesting is Judah, which we know is mm-hmm. the line um, where David comes from, where Jesus will come from as yeah. well. And it's during this this son being born like not concerned about what it'll bring her mm. and what like these different what her husband will think how she will be looked as better than than Rachel and she like stops and says this time I will sing praises to the Lord mm. she's like seeing this blessing of having this this child and kind of not as concerned we know later on she gets more concerned about yeah the husband as things intensify but in this moment here she's focused on praising the lord for mm-hmm. what he has done mm-hmm. and it's interesting that at that moment she stops yeah. having kids yeah um so yeah this like obscure little passage of showing it really convicted me of like am i like am i working on my degree to please others am i working on my degree mm-hmm. or like ordination or whatever yeah this youth group lesson to like get something out of it mm. and going through this this labor this work of bringing about something am i doing it to get an attaboy from somebody else am i doing it to look better or am i taking this as a thing to like lift up to God. Yeah. Um, so if you would ask me like four years ago, reading that <laughs> passage, I would have been like, what the heck do you get out of that? <laughs> um, but reading this different translation and going slowly through, it's hmm. like caused me to slow down. Yeah. Which has been really helpful. Yeah. For passages like these. That's really cool. I love that on the child in which she stops saying like, now my husband will love me. Instead, she just says like, man, praise God. Like that's when it stops, right? (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I also, it reminds me that like, you know, you think about Rachel and Leah and um, how, you know, Jacob gets sort of like tricked into marrying Leah and then he has to work like another uh, seven years in order to Mm -hmm. marry the, the like Rachel, the, the woman that he wanted to marry. But like, it's not through Rachel that, like the line of David comes, right? Hmm. Like, even though like, it seems like, Oh, what a major setback. It's like, that's just Jacob's problem. Like he's pursuing this thing that like, God's going to use 
Joseph. He's he's going to use what comes out of that. Mm-hmm. But like the promise is carrying on through Leah, like whether Jacob likes it or not, <laughs> like he could have stopped, never married that woman. And like the promise would have carried on. Uh, and, and ultimately Leah, the one whose eyes do not you know, gleam and is sort of like forced into this marriage by her father, like as like a trick, like she's the one that Jesus comes from. Yeah. That's super cool. It is. It is. It gives us a sense of how God is for us. Hmm. No matter how beaten down we are, who would ever want to trade places with Leah? Right. Man, what an awful life she has that, yeah. It's just, it's beyond belief that that's, that's happened to anybody mm-hmm. that you get basically forced into a marriage. You trick your husband right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, golly. And hey, by the way, this is where the Messiah comes from. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Another the like perfect the, Messiah too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another like quick thing that I was just thinking about, which is it's kind of ironic because Jacob is the second born who stole the birthright. Mm-hmm. And then now the firstborn daughter of Laban yeah. is where the line continues, which yeah. is just like yep. completely flipping yeah. things on the head, which is like, it, I don't know, it's just kind of funny. And it makes me think of Hagar too, of like people trying to like insisting on taking God's promises into their own hands. People, God helping those who help themselves. (laughs) I am not getting worked up. Um, But like, you know, people taking that into their own hands and being like, well, God's taking too long or maybe he's forgotten. So it's time that we do this ourselves. And then God still like takes care of Hagar and like redeems that mistake that somebody makes. Mm -hmm. Right. But he's still like, he's still carrying on. Um, And in that way, like Rachel's almost like another Hagar. Jacob's insistent on, he's like, I don't care if I have to marry multiple people. I'm marrying that woman. And God's like, that's nice. <laughs> it's not Well, my... and, and Jacob, who's just Mr. Deceitful, yeah. is deceived. He meets his match yes. in, yeah. in Laban, right? But, but you think about it. I don't care how dark that tent was. How could you <laughs> not know? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't have an answer for that question. Listeners, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather, trivia quizzes, and your answer to no matter how dark that tent is, how could you not know to uh, podcast? I, I, I've thought of it just while I said it now. You know, those are big wedding receptions. He's There's a lot really of drinking, drunk, so yeah. he's probably pretty far gone. Mm. Maybe they saved the best wine for last. Send your <laughs> votes to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. For our closing segment this week, the Bloomingdale Church Choir has made its glorious return, and participation, of course, is mandatory for all Bloomingdale Church staff members. That being said, Scott has the power to excuse a single member of the staff from participation, which means it's time to make your case. You'll, we will each have one minute to make our case as to why we shouldn't be allowed in the Bloomingdale Church Choir. Pull, feel free to pull from life experience, personal nightmares, and hypotheticals. Uh, Bill, why shouldn't you be in the choir? My voice is getting worse with age. Okay. So it's not really an attribute to the choir. 
However, I did volunteer to recruit for the choir. Hey. And I'm real happy with what's happened. Hmm. That we've got some really, really good singers. I walked into the doorway of the sanctuary just as they were finishing. I thought, wow, this is the first practice. It's that good already. This mm. is awesome. Mm. People are going to want to be in this choir when they get to hear how good it is. Nice. Uh, Scott, when is the first time we'll get to hear from the choir? Uh, November 20th and 21st. Mm. Mm-hmm. Daniel, why shouldn't you be in the choir? <clears throat> well, I, I do have some m- musical abilities, but... Um, <laughs> I also wear hearing aids, so I like if those if those suckers go out in the middle of a performance, then I'm not going to be able to hear a single single tune or pitch and have no clue what what I'm saying if it even like matches what everybody else is singing. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, you can take a chance, but it's not a good one. <laughs> take a chance. <laughs> I, of course, don't know how to read music. Uh, I tried to learn. I think I made a little bit of progress, but certainly in the five years since we graduated from the Men's Glee Club at Wheaton College, I have completely forgotten. Um, So I think that would be a a bit of a limiting factor. That's why when I lead worship, I sing songs that are already recorded. So I just mimic the sounds that I hear from that. Um, Scott, is that a problem? If I can't read music, is that a problem? No. Really? Tell me more. I mean, I, I think probably most of the people in the choir can't read music. Mm. Uh, there are certainly some. And uh, so we just, we learn it together. Mm. And you learn it by hearing the people around you sing it. And you learn it when you don't know how it goes. You just raise your hand and we'll go over your part specifically. And, mm. Yeah. So, and we got enough people per part that you're, you can just nestle yourself right in the middle of the people that know what they're doing. <laughs> and just hear what they're doing and sing along. Mm. What about people with hearing aids? Is that okay? Can we have no, hearing? No, man. Bruce Mankfeld has hearing aids. He's a wonderful singer. Well, there you go. <laughs> so the hearing aid is not a, is not a not an excuse not to come join the choir. Mm. As long as it doesn't do that thing that sometimes hearing aids do, where they like start making noise. Mm-hmm. You know that might throw people off. <laughs> Mine do that. Is it? <laughs> How would you know <laughs> if they don't? I can Let's figure out. Is it too late to join the choir, Scott? No, I think the the last day feasibly is. So our first rehearsal was on the ninth. Mm-hmm. Next rehearsal is on Saturdays always. So our next rehearsal is the sixteenth, and the next one after that is the twenty third. And I think the twenty third is the last day where if you want to come, come to that one. Otherwise. It's not impossible if you somehow are like under a rock and you wake up and it's October 24th and you're like, oh, I want to be in the choir. <laughs> Come talk to me and maybe we can make it work. But you're going to be pretty far behind at that point. So October 23rd, you really should be there by then hmm. or uh, or you're going to, you won't know like three of the songs of the five. Wow. <laughs> well, it sounds like none of us are excused from our participation <laughs> in the Bloomingdale Church Choir. That is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Max. Bill, take us home. You have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation.
brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. <laughs> bub. <laughs> Say bub. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think the prayer and, and closing yeah, I, cycle. I did that, that was last, the same week as last week. Oh really? <clears throat> yeah. It was. Uh oh. Yeah. Oh, that's my bad. Ooh. I forgot to <laughs> okay. you had one job. I didn't. I had two jobs. <laughs> I chose one. A prayer, an outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know they say, don't ever half meet your heroes. That's right. <laughs> don't ever meet your heroes. Scott's going to get a lot of emails then. Yeah. True. Or better. If you would have noticed of your own accord, send your email to Scott R at BloomingdaleChurch.org. Can we also send it to Bloomingdale? What is it? Bloomingdale.church? I don't think so. Because Bloomingdale.church is our, like, website. Yeah, Nancy, look that up. And I think it just kind of kicks you into Bloomingdale.church. Yeah. It works for the domain. I don't I, I wonder don't if know, the email... Like, I don't listeners, know if it works for the email. Listeners, send an email to podcast at Bloomingdale.church. Here I go. And who even knows what will <laughs> happen. <laughs> but Do the dots really matter, though, Max? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> 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 I'm going to... Um, <laughs> I'm not explaining that story, but I want to make it very clear that I wasn't wrong. He just misunderstood what we were talking about. It is uh, let's yeah, let's do a sound check. Bill, you watch a lot of TV. Oh yeah, you up to a minute a day. <laughs> let's do a sound check. Uh, let's say the name of our favorite television show. I don't know, Danny Phantom. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was going to... Oh, say the name of a television show that you've watched recently. Danny Phantom. <laughs> watch it every day. I watch a minute a day. NCIS. Ooh. Breaking Bad. Okay. The news? WGN 9, nine o'clock news. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I think I remember that at least. I yeah. thought you got your jingle that you did for the um, the services last week. From Dallas Jenkins, because he does like a jingle for like the chosen, like in the live streams. Really? For the, the website to go to. Huh. And the tune sounded almost like exactly the same. And I was like, uh, that's really cool. I, I got it from, um, there was this company many years ago, even before my time in Chicago. And at the end, they would say, call Hudson 32700. So I took that. Six two oh seven from that jingle. 